Well, there's lots of examples in nature and in life of something or someone you need to make a run from, right? Somebody needing to make a run for it, like our friend here on the screen. As we continue in our Through the Bible series, we're going to look at the fourth book of the Bible, the book of Numbers today. So I promise we're going to just work our way methodically, though not consecutively, through the Bible, the books of the Bible. And we've made it all the way to week four, which is pretty good for me. And my ADD hasn't kicked in to say, oh, look, salvation, let's go look at that. (laughs) Uh, But I think we can make it through these first five in this first part of the series. I think we're going to make her. As promised, we'll begin with kind of a general flyover of the book bird's eye view, and then uh, focus down on something in particular that I consider to be the Lord's word for us for the day, okay? Um, In context, the book of Numbers, if you want to turn to that part of your Bible, it's in the Old Testament. In context, it's book number four in this thing called the Pentateuch, which is Penta five, remember, vessels, Penta tekos biblios, which means the five vessels for the books, So that's also referred to as the Torah by the Hebrew people. But in this fourth book, it's uh, the book of Numbers is all about organization. Um, They're organizing two million people to get ready to go into the promised land. So it works really nicely. It's a logical and kind of linear progression. If you look, Genesis was about beginnings and, you know, the start of all things. And then uh, they multiplied to a certain uh, size. And Genesis, they're actually in Egypt and then we pick them up uh, a few centuries later, and they've multiplied. And there are a couple of million people in Exodus, the beginning of Exodus. And Exodus, of course, is about the escape. So now we've got to get out. And then last week, we saw that Leviticus is about their identity, who they are as the people of God, as the atoned-for people of God, the covenant people of God. Because they really needed to reestablish their identity after spending hundreds of years in slavery. Their, their identity was was, you know, they were slaves of the Egyptians, and now they're free, and they need to reestablish their covenant identity as the people of God, which was last week was about. And then uh, today, we're in the book of Numbers. Well, now they've got to get organized before they can cross over into the promised land. They had no reason to be organized up to this point, because the Egyptians were making all their decisions for them, right? And so, you know, they just got up and did as they were told every day. Now they're free, and they need to get themselves organized. So the number, the book of Numbers is really about organization, uh, remembering what they're about to do. And they're organizing their military, for, for one thing. They're saying, how many men can we get from each tribe who are of the fighting age? Because we're going to have some fighting to do. We're, gonna, we're called by God to go and take this promised land. And the trouble is, there are already people there, and they're not going to give up easily. And there's going to be war. It's not if we fa- face war, but when we face war. So they're organizing their military. They didn't need to have a military in Egypt. In fact, they wouldn't be allowed to have an organized military in Egypt, right? Because they were slaves. They were also organizing themselves spiritually because uh, now that they're the free covenant people of God, well, how's this all going to work out when God has said that the Levites will be the tribe of the Israelites that are going to be responsible for the spiritual nurture of these people? And uh, how, how is all this going to be organized? Who's going to be doing what? And that's, uh, that's all part of it. There's a, also a geopolitical plan in terms of oh, where's everybody going to live? Where are these towns going to be? And where are the different tribes going to be? So they're, they're really organizing themselves. 
And then there's also they're organizing a judicial plan because they, they would need to make judgments. You got, whenever you have people living in community, then there's going to be conflict. Have, has anybody noticed this or is it just me? I mean, not in the church. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Jesus spoke of the church. He used the word church, ecclesia, twice in the New Testament. Both times had to do with conflict, just so you know. And, and what, you know, wherever there are two people together, there's going to be conflict, right? There are two million people together. And so there needs to be some judicial plan. How are we going to judge between cases and stuff like that? All of this organization is happening while they're in the wilderness. They're still wandering around the wilderness. They haven't made it to the promised land. But they were getting ready to be the people of God's blessing. And I think there's probably a lesson there. Are you getting ready for God's blessing? I mean, how many of you, like me, have prayed for something for a long time? Are you getting ready for it? I don't know even what that means. I just feel like I'm supposed to ask you that. So you, you take it from there uh, with the Lord. I don't have any more to that. But uh, get ready for God's blessing, I guess, is what I'm supposed to say. Um, there are some really fascinating stories in the book of Numbers. There's the talking donkey. That was a big day, right? Which shows that God can even use an ass to speak his word, right? And duh. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that's why I have a job, maybe. I don't know, but I'm just saying. It, he can use anybody. Uh, God was feeding them by dropping dead birds from the sky. Quail, were, they were tired of manna, and they were going manna again. They had manna casseroles. They had manna everything. And even their drive throughs were like, supersize my manna meal, you know. And there was, couldn't we have something else? God gave them quail. Uh, there's also a deal where God gave them water out of a rock. That's exciting. So there are these cool stories that happen throughout the book of Numbers. It's very interesting reading. My personal favorite passage, and, and, and I think among definitely one of the top, my personal top ten in the Old Testament, is in Numbers chapter 12. And that's not our focus point, but I do want to just touch on it real quick. Numbers chapter 12 which I call Miriam's harsh lesson about racial prejudice. I, I love the way God taught her a very unforgettable lesson about racial prejudice. And so Numbers chapter 12, not only did he teach her a harsh lesson, but he, uh, his infinite sense of humor is conveyed here. And I'm really, really counting on God having a sense of humor. Aren't you? Uh, and... Um, and, and so here, here's an example of it. In Numbers chapter 12, it says, Miriam and Aaron, that would have been the sister and brother to Moses. So his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, began to talk against Moses. So they started speaking against him. That's not a small thing, people. Speaking against another brother or sister in the Lord is not a small thing. You don't have a right to vent. Deal with it the way the Lord says to deal with it. All right, that's aside. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Why, you ask? Because of his Cushite wife. What's up with that? His Cushite wife, his, to be Cush was Egypt, and so she would have been a very dark-skinned woman. And they were talking bad. They were talking smack about Moses because he had a wife who was dark-skinned. Now, this doesn't sound like it's going to end up well, does it? And so he had married a Cushite. And so they take it to the next level. They're 
their own racial prejudice motivates them to start, to start uh, criticizing Moses as a spiritual leader. I mean, this is going from dumb to super stupid. And they say this, Has the Lord spoken only to Moses? They ask, Hasn't he also spoken through us? You know, who's Moses? What's the big deal about Moses? Yeah, he's got the whole ten of meeting thing. Yeah, God visited him on Mount Sinai with the whole tablets thing. Big deal. Who's he really? See where this is going? See what they're letting themselves do? And it says, and the Lord heard this. Uh Uh-oh. And then the next line is interesting. Verse 3, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, which kind of brings the traditional view of authorship of this into question, doesn't it? I mean, traditionally, everybody says that Moses wrote the five books of the, of the Pentateuch, and I don't know if you'd say that about yourself if it were true. But, I mean, I'm humble. We all know that, you know. But, but anyway, it looks, it's in parentheses in my Bible, and maybe if they had parentheses in Hebrew, somebody would have stuck it in there but, for him. But anyway... Well, this is going on. What it means is that Moses didn't defend himself. God heard. God heard the grumbling. And he just said, get him, God. Sick him. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. At once, he spoke to all three. Oh, you guys want to hear from me too? (laughs) The burden of hearing from God. Don't underestimate the burden of hearing from God. And they're saying, like, who is Moses? Why is he any better than the rest of us? And they're saying he wasn't. He didn't ever say he was the most humble man. He's just doing what God was calling him to do. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Not good. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. This doesn't look good. When both of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. He's my boy. He says, With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. and Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them. And he left them. But here's, here's the coolest thing that happens. Then the cloud lifted from above the tent. And there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. There's a form of leprosy, it's a skin ailment, where you lose all of your pigmentation. You're clear, so to speak. And God is saying to Miriam, oh, you don't like black? God is saying, you like white? You like white? You have a problem with black? You like white? I'll give you white. Here's white, boom. And she was leprous, white as snow. Beloved, maybe you learned from your daddy, who didn't know any better, to think of people differently based on the color of their skin 
And your daddy was wrong. Your daddy was wrong. That's a lie from Satan. No matter which side of an aisle a person might be looking at somebody of another color, it's wrong. And we've got to fight it. Sometimes people bring me, well, what about that verse in Joshua where it says that you must not intermarry with them? And he was talking about their religion. They were, every time they would marry the native women, they would compromise, they would leave Yahweh. And he said, don't do that. Don't leave me. Had nothing to do with the color of their skin. That was free. I, I would like it to be the focal point of the word, you know, but it wasn't what the Lord said. He said, I want you to tell them about Numbers chapter 35 and the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge. And I won't take too long. So in the organization of the, town, the, the, the land that they were about to take, God gave them a plan for where the different cities would be. And he said, in all of the cities that you set up throughout the promised land, I want you to spread out six of them and designate them as something called cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. It's pretty cool. Look at Numbers chapter 35 and beginning in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. Interesting. They, they will be places of refuge from the avenger so that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites, aliens, and any other people living among them, so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. Lord, would you minister this word into the hearts of your gathered people here? So, cities of refuge, what were they? They were, they were a place to come to have your crime dealt with in a just way. I want you just to think about what's happening here. That, this, uh, that these conflicts happened, and sometimes conflicts rose to the point of violence, and uh, so that possibly one could even maybe strike another. And in some cases, that would have been a premeditated act. It's like, I can't wait. If that guy just says one more word, I'm going to knock him from here to Mars. And then uh, whether he meant to or not, this guy dies. Well, then tempers are going to flare, right? And so... Since there wasn't an established judicial system, then what they had to do was they had to have places where this person could run and flee, and everything stopped until cooler heads could prevail, if you will. So it was a place to come and have your crime dealt with in a just way, specifically for crimes of impulse and passion. Because there are, we understand even from our sense of Judeo-Christian ethics and morality that there are cases of justifiable homicide. There are cases of self-defense. There are cases of rescue of another helpless person who's being... And you understand what I'm saying? 
And so there, have to be, there has to be a way for someone who is involved in uh, either an accidental death or a justifiable homicide for before the guy's brother feels like he can avenge his blood, there has to be a way for this person to come. And that's uh, this place to come and have the case dealt with justly. And that's why these were necessary. Because, you know, in the development of the society, the public safety department had not been established yet. There weren't any police. There weren't any jails. There weren't any to grab that guy. You know, sometimes the criminal, it's good for them to go to jail so they don't get beat to death on the outside, right? And so... There, there wasn't any of that. And so these places, these six cities, were spread out fairly evenly so that when something like that went down, they had a place to get to. They had a place to get to until cooler heads could prevail. And the question that might be in your mind is, well, what does any of this have to do today? Why, why do you think the Lord led me to this passage? Why is it relevant for us today? I want to give you three quick answers. First is because I think the city of refuge is an Old Testament type of the New Testament church. Remember typology, how we've been noticing this in these books, that we can find examples of, of, of stuff going on in the Old Testament, the early, that, that's a type of Christ, like last week with the, with the uh, sacrifice and the, the, the wood and the yarn and the blood and the water and the hyssop and the letting the bird go free, and this was all... This was all a type of Christ and his sacrifice and resurrection. Well, the city of refuge, in my view, is an Old Testament type of the New Testament church. It's what the church of Jesus Christ is meant in part to be, is a place for people to run to so that their sin can be dealt with justly. It's a place, it's a refuge, it's a place of safety so that a person can come, and so that their sin, whether intentional or accidental, like, how did I get here? That, but it's a place that their sin can be dealt with justly. And at the gates of these cities of refuge were these guards, and so while, while a guy's being chased by a mob, maybe, and he comes in, then they would stand at the gate, and they would say, you can't come in here. I know you're angry. I know you think you have a right to kill this guy. But this is a city of refuge, and we will fight to protect this person's right. And that's, that's a type of the church. And those of you who join me in praying for this place so faithfully, and those of you who join me out on the, the perimeter trail that we call the wall, this is, a, this is a city of refuge. And that's the second reason that I think that it's so relevant for us today, because not is it just a picture of the church in general but it's definitely consistent with everything God has called us to do here at this vineyard, is to be a place of refuge, to be a place where you can make a run for it. You can make a run for it with all your stuff, with all your sin, with all your burden, with all your failures. And, and it's a place for you to, to make a run for it, and we'll stand at the gate for you and say, no, your accuser could come, the, the avenger could come. The devil himself could chase you into this place and we'll stand at the gate for you and say no. And that's what this place is, is it's a city of refuge. Which is kind of cool in a lot of ways, but it's kind of hard in a lot of other ways. Because some of you guys are really messed up. 
and you're welcome here, but you're hard to get along with sometimes. But that's okay. We will fight for your right to be here. And I think every church has some element of this. Every healthy church should have some element of this where they can, where, where somebody in trouble like that could come and be embraced without judgment. But this church in particular is called to do that. And that doesn't mean that we condone your sin. When you come, you've got, you got to make a run for it. Your sin has found you out or your sin is chasing you. And it doesn't mean, oh, come on in here and just live any way you want. No, you come in here, you're going to face your sin. You're going to face the cross. You're going to face the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be set free from it. Are you hearing me? But we will protect you. We will stand on the gate and protect you while that's going on. So we need two kinds of people here. It doesn't mean that this is an ER, an emergency room, where you just come and, you know, oh, man, I'm glad that's over with, and then go to a real church. This is a real church. Well, this is a real church, okay? It's not a normal church, but it's a real church. And I'm just saying that once you get your act together doesn't mean you need to go. It means we need you here to stand on the gate with us, to be a resource for people who are just getting here. We need both kinds. Does that make sense? But I think the reason that this is so relevant in my prayer life is like, God, what do you want me to focus on in the book of Numbers is because there are some of you here today who need to make a run for it. You need to make a run for it. And the city of refuge, listen, the city of refuge is the city of the cross of Jesus Christ. For your sin to be dealt with in a just way means that Jesus Christ and his shed blood will bring the justice of your sin before God on your behalf. So some of you are in places in your life right now where you're so connecting with what I'm saying. You're like, I need to make a run for it. I need to make a run for the city of refuge. I need to make a run for a place where I'm not going to be judged by people because I'm in this place in my life. But I need to make a run for it. I realize that I can't, I can't continue managing my life, fooling people, and, and I can't do that anymore. I've got to make a run for it. And some of you got that going on. You're in that place. Some of you are, you're hearing me and you're going, man, that so describes my experience. I, I remember when I made my run for it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You need to be here for those who need to make a run for it today into the city of refuge. And so we're going to do something in ministry here this morning that's going to help some of you who need to make a run for it. Because you can't make a run for it in secret. When you run to a city of refuge, everybody knows it. This isn't just between you and God. When you make a run for the city of refuge, you're making a run for the people who live there on your, for your sake. So we're going to make a city of refuge. Ken, could you come up here? Please help me out. I need a somebody of Air Force quality. Come on. 
just come on down here and hold on to this. And uh, we're going to make a line. Oh, we're going to... That's good. Put it right on the floor there. That's good. Okay, now come up here. Thanks. Hope we have enough uh, boundary marker here. Multiply it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> okay. Thanks. So this is the city of refuge right here, right in front of the cross. This is the place for where you guys who are here and you're self-identifying, you're saying, I need to make a run for it. Whatever it is, is your deal, you know? But if you make a run for it today, get into this city, we'll cover you. We'll cover you, we won't judge you. You make a run for it and just come and put yourself in front of the cross, do whatever you want when you get here. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever. But I believe the Lord spoke to me and made this, said, make this, define this city of refuge so that people can just come as an act of their will and say, I've got to make a run for it. I cannot do this this way anymore. So come on. Lord in heaven, as we... Just come to this place and you start calling your your people to the city of refuge. I just pray the power of your Holy Spirit in this room. Come, Lord. Just come, Father God, and just speak uh, the words that only you can speak to the hearts of people who need to hear it. Lord, we don't judge anybody uh, or else we'd be judged. We'd... So there's no, there's no value in that. We don't judge anybody for needing to, run, to make a run for it. We don't judge anybody. We rejoice in it. And I just pray that you'll stir up in the hearts of the people who today's their day to start getting free. I mean, really free. We want to come out from under the sin management program that we've tried to develop for ourselves, Lord, and come under the covering of your great power. So we invite you to come, Father, now.